Welcome back to all our listeners. And today we have another special guest with us, and he is an author. And I am talking about none other than Mr. Mitch Anderson. How are you today, Mitch? Doing great, Mahal. I can't thank you enough for having me on. I'm uh, very excited. It's, it's pretty awesome. Thank you so much, and we appreciate you being in our show. Can you tell us a little bit more about you? Yeah, definitely. Well, currently, I mean, I'm a father of three. I have three boys under the age of five. My wife is currently pregnant with a fourth. Uh, we finally got our, our girls, so that was pretty, uh, pretty exciting. She's due uh, May 3rd, so that we're uh, you know, right in that last stretch, which is awesome. My day job is a, a medical device rep, uh, cover five states, so I travel a, a, a fair bit, nothing, nothing too, too drastic. Uh, definitely find a lot of enjoyment there. And currently kind of where I'm at, uh, obviously, like you, you want your day job, everything about you as followers of Christ to really be focused towards, hey, God, how can I further your kingdom? How can I answer your call? And so then that was, you know, a year ago, kind of the culmination of, I guess, the pursuit of him, you know, diving in and, and becoming an author and uh, kind of going down that path. So hopefully that was an interesting and of enough nutshell. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, so you got all boys. So does it mean this is going to be your last because you finally got your girl? That's the plan. And I think God knew that. You know, if he would have given us a girl too soon, you know, we'd have gotten a girl boy or boy, boy, girl. He, he probably knows we, we would have stopped. So he, he knew what he was doing. Obviously, I never say never to God. Uh, he, he, he may want me to, to have more, um, want us to have more. So we'll, we'll see. But I, I think, I'm, I think we've, we've called it off. So. Plus, you would have not wrote your book with, if, you did, if you already had a girl too soon, right? That's so true. It's so I true. No, God, God, God definitely used my boys. They're, they're a massive inspiration. And uh, what is so interesting about kids, as I'm sure you know, Mahal, and your listeners as well, if you really let them, uh, they can be such lessons for your personal growth in Jesus. That for me is what I've, what I've found. They just multiply, you know, your pursuit of God. So Yeah, we got the opposite. Ours, we have both girls, but after that, oh. we are done. And okay. yeah, it's just so much stuff to learn. And they're a reflection of what they see Jesus through, through them because of what you teach them. And one of the things that, before I ask more about you too, one of the things I usually ask my guests Yes, you don't have to tell me the exact date because most people mm -hmm. might not remember the Foundings Me. But do you remember the first time that you accept Christ as your personal Savior? When was that time and why did you make that decision? Yeah, Mahal, great question, obviously. For me, I was a, a pastor's kid, right? So I grew up in the church and I felt like I was at every altar call. I felt like I was at every, you know, ask Jesus moment in church or at summer camps. I felt like I was always raising my hand and, and just running to the front. But for, for me, I remember the, the, the moment I was 11 years old. I can't remember the exact date, but I know that I was 11 and I was just, you know, tucked into bed and I asked mom to, to come back in. And that moment I, I really said, mom, I just want to make sure, you know, and I want this to kind of be the end of it. I don't want to have to go up again for altar calls. I want to know. And so then my mom and, and myself, we just prayed, uh, prayed the prayer at my bed. And uh, that was that uh, a final moment for sure. I know you're too young, but then, so I'll just ask like, what can you say about having that intimate relationship with Christ? Like you say, you could be a pastor's kid or you could just be a kid that goes to church because your parents made you go to church with them. But what do you think is the diff what do you think is the difference with you knowing who Christ is and actually really getting to know him and having that intimate relationship with 
with him. Yeah. Well, Mahal, you know, it's so funny with comes to my relationship, our relationship with Jesus Christ. I think if we allow every moment to be what God wanted it to be, I think at 11, I genuinely, my faith was my own for an 11 year old. Right. And then uh, every year it almost seemed like it was revamped and, and God was growing me. It's funny, probably in college, obviously, when you're genuinely out from under your parents' cover, covering, I think I definitely at that point was, was really pressing to say, hey, God, how much do I want this faith? Am I willing to really go the whole, you know, the whole nine yards, really finish this thing out? And uh, it's interesting because I would, I would say college, obviously, because I, I moved out, was down in uh, California. I went to Vanguard University. Shout out to Vanguard. Yeah, I think at that point, it was genuinely becoming my own because I, I had to test everything that I'd been taught. But at the same time, it's like you can only know what you can know. Like, I think I'll look back on my, you know, 10 years from now, I'll look at myself. I'm 37 now, so at 47, and I'll probably say, man, Mitch, you at 37, you had so much to learn, you know, and I could almost question was I really saved now? Was I really a believer now in 10 years? Because I won't know what I know then. And so there's this complexity, I think, to God that he obviously meets us where we're at. And he gives us kind of grace for every season that we're in. I don't know if that gives some flesh to your question. But probably, you know, once I was out of the house really was when, you know, my faith became my own. I wasn't just doing, doing something because my folks said to do it, but also making my faith my own in Christ. So... That's really good, yes. And which with your answer made me think of another question. Like you said, so you were in college and you're not in your parents' children. But how is your faith gap tested? Because we know that when you get to college, there is a lot of temptation, a lot of things that might try to tempt you to you know, go to the world side and not to Christ's side. How were you able to handle it? Yeah, well, it is, it's very interesting because my, my time in college the first time around, I almost think God just shut everything off, gave this kind of really high grace. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I had a great season. We'll call it seven years of kind of, should I say no sin, which is interesting, but you know, to say it like that. But for me, uh, that whole time, I feel like the enemy was birthing pride in my self-righteousness because obviously, <laughs> uh, you know, Satan can get you in, in pride and being perfect, right? Or he can get you in, you know, living in full on sin and, and uh, you know, going, going the way of the world. And so it's pretty interesting. Uh, both pressing for me was during that seven years of, of we'll say, self-righteousness, that whole time then pride was also building up. So I would say it kind of uh, held back the dam of uh, having a tested faith until I was about 25. And that really pressed into, I was really looking to get married, hoping to find, you know, my wife. And uh, so then it pressed, you know, 25 to 28 was kind of the, of a drought, dark season. I had fallen back into uh, just lust and kind of things of the world. But then at 28, uh, obviously, uh, I met my wife and um, we've been married now uh, almost nine years, I think. Yeah, almost nine years. And so all that to say the testing kind of came later. And then, you know, I had, uh, there was some military stuff where that really pressed in. There was, uh, you know, I had to go through bankruptcy because of a business deal gone south. And so that kind of, those were the things as kind of responsibilities piled with marriage and kids where my faith was genuinely tested. And hence the book came out of that because you learn, 
you learn a lot through suffering and through trials. And so then through that, it was like, God, I need, I need your spirit to multiply me, to, to empower me, to be able to, to live righteously and holy for you. Thank you so much. And so how is it from doing your job as a medical device rep, what made you start thinking of writing a book? Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're totally correct there. There's a, a gentleman that I've listened to him a lot. I'm a student of his per se, you know, vicariously through, through podcasting, through his books and whatever. But uh, Jordan Peterson always talks about how uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson talks about if, if you're going to write a book, you have to have a problem, you know, that has to be a catalyst. You have to have something that, that keeps you up at night, something that you're willing to really wrestle with. And uh, for me, I feel that our culture has really lost its way when it comes to identity and uh, what we're supposed to look like and what our roles are and everything. And so for me, having three boys and watching them, you know, now my oldest is five, watching them kind of progress through this, I want the world that they live in to be shifted. I want to get into conversation. And so God inspired the book out of that. And I believe it was empowered by his spirit. And so then the book just kind of organically came, came out of that about a year ago. And so, so, you know, through that, what I found was what is the reason why this book needs to get into the hands of, of men and what, why do they need to be inspired? And I, I felt what it was was that life is going to have storms and life is going to really attack you and come at you. And to fulfill the call of God, uh, you've got to have the, the empowerment of God, right? Jesus has to give us the ability to be able to fulfill his call. And that's really where the book uh, stems from, for sure. Yeah, so I, I am reading the description of your book, and I thought it's really interesting. And it's really good. Yeah. And I will let you say a little bit more about it. But I want to know, there are like, like you said, when you write a book, you got to have like a specific problem or something that a lot of people would get interested. There's different kinds of different topics. What? made you choose to pick this particular topic to write? Yeah. When it came to the book, the book is not all about this, but I think the culmination, as we know, as believers, what we can find is if there's an issue we see in culture, the, the actual problem stems way before the actual issue. So we know that there's a, a wrestling with what a man looks like and, and um, now the, the ability to choose between genders and, and, and kind of go this route. But I, I think what, what it stems from is the enemy has always, at least you know, for the 30, 37 years of my existence, he's always been trying to get at our identity, right? Our identity in God, whether it is, is my identity in mansions? Is my identity in muscles? Is it in money? Those kind of questions he's always been getting after. And so this is just yet another thing of the enemy trying to say, you're not really a man, so you should be a woman, right? It's never necessarily shifted. It's just another added piece. And so for me, this was just a, a catalyst that then said, hey, you know what, God? We as men need to be get, get right back to what was your original design? What, did, what was your intention? What does your Bible say about, or what does the Word of God say about us fulfilling our call as men of God? And so that really was the, the catalyst that said, we, we got to get back in the conversation. And so for now, I was inspired by five. And we'll see if my aim is to get three volumes. So I got one of them down. And so maybe 10 more attributes will come out of it. But it has to be something that is, you know, orchestrated by God, designed by God, because I just, I don't think it'll be useful to men if it's just, you know, pulled out of thin air. And I guess the, the relation to women, because, you know, even for yourself, I don't want to single out women. But I, I think the, 
that biologically there's this interesting thing that women will naturally do the things necessary to, I guess, thrive in life. I don't know if that makes any, any sense, but whether it's motherhood, why is it statistically the woman usually is stuck with the kids and the man, you know, jets and runs, right? We know that 18.4 million children are without fathers in the U.S., according to the U.S. Census Bureau. And that's just, that's just tragic. That would fill New York one time. So we would literally have a, the city of New York filled with 18.4 million children without fathers. And that, that I definitely saw was a big enough reason, a big enough issue for, you know, to write a book, to try to get into the conversation and see if, you know, if God can use whatever he's placed on, on my heart and my life to affect change so that families can thrive again, so that men can thrive again. And that's kind of the aim of the book. Thanks. There's so many things I could think of asking in that question. I'm going to pick which one I could think of. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but those are really good. So, and you even mentioned something controversial. Yeah, which has <laughs> yeah. always been like, like going on right now. But I want to talk about a little bit something that you've mentioned if you try to explain further. What do you mean by a man's original design? How is man's original design supposed to be? Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. Well, I have to go back to the beginning, right? So Genesis 1, you know, when man was created, male and female, he created them. And it's interesting because they were made, God, God had said in uh, Genesis 1, 28, let us make man in our own image. So in the image of God, he created them male and female. And this very interesting piece here, I think man's original design was to bear the image of God. And so as we do that, who gets glory? Not us. God gets glory. I mean, we take part in it. But there's this amazing piece that when I believe women and men fulfill their original design, which was to bear the image of God, we give glory back to our maker. And what, what's a person's greater call than that? It stems so many ways because I think the enemy, this culmination of where we're at now, if we surgically uh, shift the way a man may look or change God's design for them to be leaders in the home, all of a sudden, I feel like there is at least 50% and maybe more because it impacts the woman as well of God's image that is corrupted, I think is the word I'll use, that is, that is tarnished, right? And so the enemy knows this, right? Whether it is that we find our identity in making millions of dollars, then we've also, at that point, we've shifted our original design to give glory to God. If it's, you know, changing our physical makeup, that's tarnishing God's original design. If we are not leaders in the home, so if men don't rise up and sit and, and father their children, whether it be, you know, a, a son or a daughter, we're once again tarnishing the original design, which was to bring glory to God. So I think in that question, of course, that would be why the enemy would be really amping up. I mean, he knows his time is short and he wants to try to steal the glory of God as in, and in many ways as he possibly can. And so I, I, there's so much more there, but I think that, you know, if I had to pigeonhole it to one point, it would have to be the glory of God was man's original design. Mahal, do you think we, should we get more precise on that? Or does that kind of it's flesh up out the to question? You. I love listening <laughs> to explanation. It's good. It's up to you. Yeah. Well, you know, identity for me really becomes this, this interesting piece because I know from a young age, it took so much, you know, essentially 18 years of my parents speaking into me what the values of God were right? Out of scripture. It wasn't something that just happened overnight, right? And so there's this interesting point that I don't think every man or woman, like you have to be a father or a mother to be able to fulfilling your call. But I think there is this interesting thing in life when a, a woman or a man 
gets to the point where they can pass something on, and that's fatherhood and motherhood, that is where we actually become valuable. Because, you know, genuinely, we're not about ourselves at that point, if I'm passing something on. And so that's definitely why I think the, the amping up of, of allowing women and men to understand their identity in Christ, I think it's a, a very valuable, you know, message to, to shout uh, through a megaphone as loud as we possibly can, right? True, that is good. And I kind of wish that my friend Annette could be here with us because she also have just like you, she have boys. But I guess I'll ask a question, not just yeah. for her and for everybody that is listening, for people that have kids, you know, like especially when they're raising boys or even if they're raising girls, like I'm raising girls, you know, what advice can you give to the other the other parents are listening, especially if they have a preteen or a teenager, because just like you mentioned, you know, people finding their identity, it could be in their preteen, it could be during their teenage year, it could be in college, or it could even be when they're grown up, you know. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the first part of my conversation with Mitch, and make sure to follow us so you don't miss the next part, and take care. And now let us reflect through everything we've heard by listening to this beautiful music from our Spotify. Thank you so much for listening and until next time. And always remember to come to Jesus daily. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Oh, we live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you, we live for you. Holy, there is no one like you, there is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me. Oh, and me.
Just in you were.